Francisco 49 is deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, stiff form going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Groovy, Walgren, Bill Belichick were all students of Bill Walsh. Don't ever forget. Hi guys, and welcome back to another season of 49er Football. On the show today, I'm joined by my regular co-host, Naji Karar, and also a regular guest star, Gareth Ellis. Welcome back, guys. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Good to be back. Fantastic. It is good to be back. Um, I need to apologise about not being able to do these uh, a bit more often during the off-season. I've had quite a busy year. Um, obviously, it's been a unique year for everyone. Um, surreal times we're living in at the moment. Um, very strange indeed, but I've had some stuff going on with my business, which I basically had to sort out before I got back into the back into the podcasting and um, looking after the group. So that's why I've been busy. So on the show, we're going to be looking at the season ahead. We're going to be making some predictions, discussing who was impressed in what is a limited camp, what our main concerns are and how COVID may have impacted the season and may still impact the season. But first of all, let's talk about the main change to the team this season, and that was the retirement of Joe Staley during the draft. Joe was drafted by the 49ers in the first round, 28th overall in the 2007 draft. The pick was acquired after the team traded into the first round with the New England Patriots, giving up their 2008 first round pick which became Jared Mayo, and a 2007 fourth-round pick, which was subsequently traded to the Oakland Raiders for wide receiver Randy Moss, who then went on to play for the 49ers during Super Bowl 47. Joe's career highlights include six visits to the Pro Bowl, 2011 through to 2015 and also 2017. He was voted second-team All-Pro on three occasions, 2011 through to 2013. He was voted onto the Professional Football Writers Association All-Rookie Team in 2007 and was also a member of the NFL's 2010s All-Decade Team. Joe actually started in every game he played for the 49ers and that came to a total of 181. Now, what do you think his chances are of getting into the Hall of Fame? Was he dominant enough for a long enough period or will the fact he will always be compared with Joe Thomas, who was taken third overall in the 2007 draft, affect his chances? That's a good question. I think the resume uh, kind of speaks for itself. And when you talk about Canton and, and the Hall of Fame, there's, there's un unfortunately one thing missing on his resume, and, it, and that's a ring, um, which seems to impact quite a lot. But I will say that the fact that he's played so many games and barely missed any time or you know he's not been injured that, that much for the position he plays I, I think he's got a good shot i'm not sure it'll be a first battle i think it might take a while but i think you'll you'll get there eventually yeah i think so i think so too um offensive line is, is is an odd position i suppose when it comes to things like the hall of fame it's it's difficult to get that kind of you know um flashy tape uh, out there, which which makes people think that you're a, a top player. But I think these days, playing for so long for so for one team at such a high level, uh, you know, there's got to be recognition of that. Um, and I think you know the Hall of Fame does make an effort to make sure that it isn't always quarterbacks, wide wide receivers, defensive ends, 
those sort of guys who are the only ones who make the Hall of Fame. So I, I really can't think of a perhaps another player over the last last decade uh, from an offensive line position who who perhaps deserves it more than Joe. Apart from Joe Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who was definitely the standout left tackle, um, closely followed by Joe Staley. So, completely unprepared question for the pair of you: What is your most memorable moment for Joe on and off the field? Oh, this is tough. Um, it's a tough one. I think last season was quite, quite very up there because he. You could tell his body was starting to give up, and you know it's the reason he uh, he retired ultimately. Uh, but he was so dominant last year, and I think you know, especially against the Packers in the uh, in the NFC Championship, um, that game was was pretty impressive. But I think maybe the catch free at the end of the game uh, when everybody was crying, and he's with Vernon Davis. Um, I, I remember that quite vividly as well. Um, off the field, I know he's very well known for his singing, even though I've never really paid attention to that. Um, but he, he always seemed to be a, a good character and a good laugh and somebody to you could easily be around without having um, you know, any problems. Uh, he, he just seemed like a nice guy. You know, one of those guys, you know he's a nice guy just yeah, when you see him. Yeah, definitely. Um, you could be friend with, uh, even though you, you've never met him. Um, so... Yeah, I think this he's 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 had such solid play, uh, and as Gareth said, you know, offensive line is never is never flashy, but you, you know the the catch free and the and the the massive run by by Alex Smith, uh, where he's he's running in front of him against uh, the Saints as well, um, might be one. Um, so so that would be my my on the field yeah. most memorable moment for Joe, definitely. It's not often you see an offensive lineman run as fast as that. But yeah. hopefully this okay. season, we're going to see his replacement run even faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And you, Gareth? I think it is. I was, I was just impressed with the attitude, I think, when, when McGlinchey joined. Um, you know, he was, he was brought in for a right tackle, but was clearly sort of being lined up as a potential replacement to Joe Staley. Uh, and I think it says a lot about a player where where they come in and they want their replacement to succeed. Uh, it's, it says a lot about their approach to to, to their teammates and, and their approach to the game. Um, so, you know, I think the two guys clearly get on well, you know, off the field anyway. But um, it was it was something about the, what he brought to the team. I think, and and that that kind of attitude, not just being the sort of upbeat, larger than life personality, but that uh, you know, I want to win, and and uh, I don't care who's being brought in. We're we're all part of the same team. We we're we're not competing with each other, perhaps in in the way that some players may may react to that. So I I've just always been you know very impressed with everything that Joe Staley has done off and on and off the field. Uh, I think it's difficult for me to pin down a uh, uh, an on the field moment. Uh, maybe I should be paying more attention to the big guys on the O-line. Yes, I mean, hopefully this year, Trent Williams is going to stand out uh, quite a bit. I mean, it's it's obvious from what we've seen in camp, he's going to be absolutely excellent for us. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and going back to Joe, so as I said, my most memorable moment would definitely be 
the um, the game against the Saints where he came out left made a tackle so Alex Smith could get round and into into the end zone and just looking at the speed of him as he went down the field it was just unbelievable to see a left tackle do that and off the field it's got to be the carpool karaoke he <laughs> he is an absolute screen and he's a he's a good singer let's face it he's a good singer but it was very surprising when he started to build out the song from Moana word by word <laughs> <laughs> and he sounded good as well so yeah I think that's my most memorable off the field moment he's had a few during the Joe show um, when he basically called out uh, Vernon Davis for what all the fans knew um, Vernus was all about uh, the brand the brand name Vernus Davis always wanted paying for everything and uh, Joe kind of made fun of him by saying you probably want paying for this interview day <laughs> so yeah he was quite funny in that respect as well he, he saw the funny side of what the fans were how the fans viewed certain players and kind of played on that a little bit. Okay, so I mentioned earlier on, it's been a very surreal year, it's been a unique year, definitely. And uh, that brings us on to COVID-19. It's obviously enforced a lot of changes this year, including whether or not fans will be allowed into stadiums. I think Roger Goodell has made a mistake discounting the value of home field advantage and has set up the new season tilted in favour of teams who are not under as strict a lockdown as others. Three teams in particular spring to mind when evaluating the impact their fans have on the game, and that's the Seahawks, Saints and Chiefs. I think they all get a huge advantage because of the environment they play in. Um, obviously the Seahawks and the Saints play in an open top stadium, but it's a condensed stadium. Uh, the sound comes down onto the field the two loudest stadiums in the league and then you've got the Saints in the Dome and that plays a big part as well so I think those three teams if they're allowed fans in and some others like the 49ers aren't because of the way the state has the lockdown or the um, I've forgotten what they call it over in the state the state's equivalent of a lockdown then I think that's going to have an unfair advantage what, what's your thoughts on how this has been handled and what could have been done differently? Well, it, that's, I mean, that's just how the USA works, right? It's, it's a federal um, system, so each, each state has its say and, um, in, into, and you, you know, this, when it comes to COVID, it's, it's bigger than sports. It's, uh, it's about health, it's about, um, you know, protecting vulnerable people and, and not getting sick. So um, it is what it is. It, the the whole situation it is it is what it is you know um if some fans are allowed into stadium you know good for them I, I don't think it's a good idea i don't think they should do it uh will it have an impact uh probably maybe yeah but i, I will also say that a 20 percent full stadium is not going to sound as loud as a full eighty thousand cap you know stadium because they won't be able to fill it completely um I think the whole season is going to be surreal anyway, um, on the field and off the field. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about, uh, you, you know, on, on the field later on. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, Brady is a Buccaneer and Cam Newton is a Patriot. You know, the, this season is going to be weird regardless. So um, this is just an, another layer of weirdness that 2020 has brought anyway. And I think 
at this point, it's just weirdness on top of weirdness, and we'll just we'll just deal with it, move on, and uh, and hopefully have normality resume soon enough. Yeah, it's going to be a be a season uh, unlike any other. I think uh, the only thing I can ever think of is is right back when I first started following the NFL was a was a strike season. Was that 87, 87? Yeah, it was 87, yeah. Where, where about the first three or four games of the season where, where literally guys pulled off the street and, and stick a helmet on and you're playing Sunday. Um, so I always thought at the beginning of COVID that if the NFL can go through the fact that all of their players are on strike and still get games out, I, I don't think COVID's going to stop them. Uh, I think that you're, you're right with the, uh, the lack of uh, home field uh, fans that is going to make a difference to those teams uh, that that have a reputation for having a, a strong fan base at home and making it difficult for visiting teams. However, if if these these sort of seventy eighty thousand seater stadiums, if you have fifteen or, or sixteen thousand people in them, you know it's it's like me shouting at the park. You there's no there's no volume to that noise. You, you hear individual voices, um, and you know any of you have been to. You know, a, a lower level uh, football match, say, where you get seven, eight thousand people um, in a in a larger stadium. It's I Doesn't don't know. The same. Yeah. No, I don't know that that's going to make uh, uh, much impact at all. Uh, I saw the the episode of Brick by Brick that I think the the Niners released yesterday, where they were, they were playing the fan noise. They've got to play the fan noise yeah. in the stadium. Um, and Shanahan was having a bit of difficulty, I think, with with that, just finding it very annoying. Um, having this sort of constant drone of noise, so that might be something we all have to get used to on the on the coverage. Um, but it's 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 going to teams cope with this or cope with these changes, uh, cope with being in the bubble, cope with potentially you know not being able to see their families. I'm I'm not sure about some of the the details of how they're actually going to work it in terms of trying to keep the teams in bubbles. Um, but it's suddenly it's a whole off field thing that the coaches and the teams and the and the players have got to deal with and i think the the teams that deal with those better and get into the right rhythm of it and and, and approach it in the right way will do well and i i'm confident that we're going to be one of those teams yeah i, I would agree with you there and and thinking about it a bit more i think there's two other teams that probably is going to benefit through no fans being in the stadium and that's the Rams and the Chargers who don't actually have any fans and they're already used to playing in empty stadiums anyway. Yeah, although they've just got a brand new stadium that looks absolutely amazing and very jealous of. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be weird regardless. I mean, um, I just I just don't see the, the fan thing being a problem. Um, it's just going to be different for the players. I think that's what it's going to be. Uh, it, the the game's going to feel differently when there's no R and no, you know, clapping and booing and noise and when the defense on and and yeah, you can you can play noises for the speakers, but then you can't turn it off when the other team is on. So it's the same for everybody anyway. I think I think it might actually bring us back to a more pure kind of football where everybody's on the same playing field if everybody's on the same playing field. Um, it's going to be weird for us. We're going to hear what they say on the field, which I think if any, if anybody's ever watched, as you say, Gareth, if you ever watched football, either at a lower level or maybe one of those games that were, you know, um, the team got punished and they couldn't have fans and then in the stadium and 
you can hear football players talk to each other and shout to each other. It's really loud. People really talk and really shout on the pitch. Um, so people are going to start uh, realizing what's going on down there, all the banter that happens and all the teams on the sideline and all the noise that goes on. So it's going to be a different perspective. I think it's going to be interesting. Um, when it comes to COVID itself, I think I just don't see it not having an impact at any point during the season. It's too many people, it's too many pieces are, you know, interconnecting when you when you talk a football team. It's not just 53 players and, and 12 coaches or whatever. It, it, it's a, you know, we, we call it a franchise for a reason. There's hundreds of people working with these, with these teams. Um, and then they have to get on planes, which means even more people. And then they have to, you know, get on buses, which means even more people. And then, uh, you know, hotels when they go abroad, uh, not abroad, but away. And, and that's, I mean, that means more people they can get in contact with. And all it will take is one. All it takes with this with this virus is one one contamination, and then it's possible that the whole team has it because they're spending the time together. I just don't see it not having an impact. I think the NBA showed that it, it had. You know, they tried to start again and they they had to stop. And I I, I don't see the season going smoothly um, in terms of the schedule. I think there's going to be some postponed games. I think there's going to be uh, players dropping out and quarantine happening, and um, I think it's going to be a bit chaotic um, for sure. Yeah, it's going to it's it's going to be interesting if teams are going to have to have a really short week to make up for delayed games. Yeah, well, I, can, I can see some games being being delayed for sure, um, and I can see you know potentially if one team. Uh, has got COVID, is, is another team then going to say, well, we don't want to play them even yeah. even within two weeks? Um, and that's where, you know, it could potentially get messy. On the plus side, of course, no fans. That means a huge less amount of infrastructure and stuff that's needed at the stadiums. So, you know, Tuesday afternoon games, Thursday morning games, they've they more flexibility to, to kind of fit those schedules in because you, you don't need to account for 80,000 people uh, arriving. So... There's 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 potentially something they can do there, but yeah, I I fully expect certainly in the latter half of the season to start seeing some uh, uh, some games sort of postponed and shifted. Yeah, yeah, because the problem is is the 14 days, isn't it? We all know the symptoms and the incubation is is about 14 days. So if somebody has to stay away for two weeks, it's not it's not like a disease that can be dealt with within you know, five days and, and then you can still play the game and the schedule isn't too badly off. But if it happens once and you're two weeks or two weeks late, how do, how do you get that back before, you know, what, playing the Super Bowl in March or some, or, in, or maybe even, you know, early April at this point, if, if it gets pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. So, yeah, um, there's also, you know, some states, you mentioned states having lockdowns and some others having none. I think, I think the biggest culprit is Florida that basically haven't got anything in place or they hadn't for a while anyway. Um, I, don't, I don't follow to the letter the, to the day what's happening there, but it, there's a whole team in Florida, you know, the Jaguars, yeah. the, the Dolphins, the Bucks, um, the Panthers aren't that far away. Um, so it's, what's, what's going to happen if all these three teams get sick people on and then there's three teams that have to stay away for two weeks and yeah, I just I don't see it being smooth at all. I don't expect it to be. 
No, no, no. So obviously, I mean, it's it's already impacted the teams anyway because it's been an mm -hmm. unusual off season. The normal yeah. training routine has been somewhat disrupted. However, we have seen footage of some of the sessions. Out of the footage you've seen, who's impressed you so far? And what are your main concerns heading into the new season as far as player personnel is concerned? Well, you've touched on it in, a, in the introduction when we talked about Joe. I think I think Trent Williams from day one has impressed everybody um, by his speed, his strength, his size, his ability to play the game. Even though he's been away for a year and hasn't touched uh, grass in, in a year prior to that, he seemed to be sharp. He seemed to be knowing what he's doing. And he's not going against the defensive line that's, you know, uh, not good. He's head-to-head -head with Nick Bosser most of the time. Um, he's head-to-head -head with Armstead and, you know, um, and uh, he's handled himself apparently. So uh, it looks like it looks like a, it was the right acquisition at the right time. Um, a massive thanks to Joe almost for, you know, taking, taking his leave now. He needed it now and it's just... It, Perfect for us, it seems. Gareth? Yeah, um, just on, on Williams, I think uh, hopefully a third and a fifth round pick for a, a Pro Bowl left tackle is, is going to look like daylight wobbly. Um, it's a fantastic piece of business, you know, quality, let alone Pro Bowl level left tackles, just rarely become available and rarely become available for, you know, day three change in terms of draft picks. So uh, hopefully, hopefully he won't be too rusty. He's been facing a lot of Nick Bosa, um, and that's a guy who's going to shake your rust off fairly quick. Um, mm -hmm. But in 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 terms of camp, I'm I'm quite interested to see uh, Jordan Reed. Uh, I was I was interested to see that we have four tight ends on the roster. Uh, yeah. I thought we might go for a seventh wide receiver, given that the you know the known injury and and perhaps some uncertainty about that position group. Um, but four tight ends uh, makes me think there's going to be some interesting matchups um, with with Kittle there under contract. Keep an eye on Kittle. He lines up everywhere on the offensive line. He's not a tight end. I, I, I don't know. He's got a he's a Kittle. That's that's what he <laughs> backfield yeah. tight to the O line, wide out, and suddenly I can see something like and with those reverses to Debo Samuel, but to Kittle with Reed out in front of him or Dwelly or Werner. Um, there could be some interesting, I think Shanahan's going to have a lot of fun um, if he's got four reliable tight ends to, to, to pick from. Um, so I'm quite interested to see that. I think that was that was a good pickup as well. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll talk about the receiver corpse, but uh, I think with McKinnon, Trent Taylor back, I, I'm not concerned about our pass catchers, perhaps as much as, as maybe some other people have made out it to be a problem. So for me, I mean, Trent Williams is obviously impresses um, from what I've seen. But these two of the players that have impressed me, one of them I expected to impress me, and that was Trent Taylor. Every time he's been through camp, he's looked really good. He looked really good during Jimmy's first year. I'm really excited for him to come back fully fit so we can see what he can do because he was Jimmy's favourite target on third down. He was, yeah. And I think when, when Jimmy aimed targeted Taylor on third down he had something ridiculous like 147 passing rating <laughs> that, that's yeah, how was, good um, the connection was it was Edelman and Brady almost um, it was yeah and the level yeah yeah and the other person that's impressed us is Kinlaw Kinlaw looks absolutely immense I looked at the tape before we drafted him 
and uh, coming into the draft there was always rumours that we might take a defensive tackle mm -hmm. um, and it was either going to be him or it was going to be Derek Brown and when I looked at the pair of them I thought I'd rather have Kinlaw than Brown because Kinlaw looks a little bit more mobile um, and he was just so stocky, he was, he was pure muscle and he's impressed us with his play during um, the off-season training. However, he's all, also the person I've got concerns about. And this is ever since the draft. Every single interview I've seen him in, he doesn't come across very well at all. He, he comes across as though he's got <laughs> this attitude. And it's like a diva attitude. And that concerns me that for what it's going to do in the locker room, if that's how he is. It could be that he's, he's just shy. He, he doesn't do interviews very well. Fingers crossed that's all it is. But I just concerns us a little bit. I think that's what it is. I think you know, some people are just aren't tailored to be in front of a camera or, you know, the, these people are football players. Uh, don't need them to be a karaoke machine like Joe Steady and have their own show. Yeah. Um, as long as you produce on the field and, you know, you don't do anything stupid uh, outside of outside of the, the organization, uh, uh, interviews are it, they're so mandatory as well and you have to do this at this time and sometimes it's just not right in the right mind and you, have, you still have to talk to you know i don't know how many reporters are i mean i know it's all on zoom online now but uh, you know you have 20 people looking at you and asking you questions it, sometimes it can be a bit daunting uh, i would imagine so uh, that doesn't surprise me i would be concerned if he starts not playing really well i did hear that he was struggling a little bit um which I would 100% expect from somebody like him. He, players that rely on their physical ability to dominate at the college level usually struggle when they get to the NFL because everybody is at the same level they are and they're not used to that. So I think it's going to take him some time to adjust to the fact that he can't just beat people by, with raw power. He's going to have to be a bit smart. Um, but that only takes, you know, that only comes with experience and playing games and understanding what it's all about um yeah. so we'll, we'll see we'll see he's, he's a rookie i know he's a first round pick and he's our first round pick and a first pick so he, he's got a bit of you know um expectation on him but um he, he's got a good surrounding cast i think i think he's in the, if he i think if you had to choose one defensive line to playing this one might be at the top yeah I've got no no concerns about him. I'm pretty sure with the rest of the locker room and and the team that Shanahan and Lynch have built, uh, you know that kind of attitude is soon going to be be stamped out by the players before it gets to the to the coach. You know, you certainly like to think so. Um, I don't think we should put necessarily too much pressure or expectation on him. Um, look at the recent years. You know, it's taken Armstead a few years to to really play like a first round pick. Took Buckner a couple of years. Um, some word out of camp was maybe Solomon Thomas is getting there now. Mm -hmm. So I'm not necessarily, I don't think we should, uh, should be too down on the guy if he doesn't have a stellar first season. Um, I think it's, it just seems to be maybe a position where, yeah, you can excel at college. And as soon as you get to the NFL, there's a, there's a whole, you know, uh, new set of techniques and, and a new approach that you've got to bring to the game. Um, and it's, it is, it's a difficult position uh, to play. I've always, I've always felt that never, never being in that position, but uh, you know, you're just piled in with the offensive lineman. I, it's a wonder how these guys keep back the ball when they're, when they're piled in so close. So I, I think it's a, it's a position where 
a season's worth of experience will will do him the world of good and and we shouldn't be too worried if he's not uh you know defensive rookie of the year yeah yeah i completely agree with that um it, it is very very early obviously <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how he does play i, I think a lot of a lot of the pressure is going to be taken by Nick Bosa. I think he's going to be double teamed. We've yeah. also got Armstead right next to uh, Kinlaw as well. They're going to be trying their best to keep Armstead at bay. I think th those two there is going to give Kinlaw quite a few opportunities to impress yeah. and actually get through and get at the quarterback. I mean, let's yeah. let's not forget about D Ford and you know DJ Jones. Yeah. And, you know, he's not. That's what I mean. He's not. He's not his own up there. Um, and yeah, Gareth is right. I've, I've heard good thing about Solomon Thomas. It sounds like he's he's come around the corner and he's he's getting there, which would be on par with you know with Buckner with Armstead. Like the third year was 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 the best. So let's let's fingers crossed, and he can have a breakout season as well. That'd be great. I wanted to talk about Dan Pepetis because I've watched his. Um, an interview he had really early in camp where he was talking about last season. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that, um, but yeah. I thought it was very, very interesting. Um, he explained a lot on his performance, on what happened to him and why he wasn't playing. And he seemed to, same again, you know, kind of woke up and realized what was what's happening and apparently made, made quite a few plays and some really flashy plays at, at camp. So... I'm really, really hopeful he's going to have the season he should have last year. What do you guys think? Yeah, um, you know we had we had good hopes for him for his second year after after the uh, performances, the few performances he he put in due to injury in his first year, um, and then I think of course you know Debo just came in and and had a better rookie year, uh, and and really threw Pettis some shade, and there's you know there's potentially some. Some sort of similarities uh, uh, there that hopefully Pettis can think. Hang on, you know I should be, I should have been a year ahead of this guy, and I, I look a year behind. Um, obviously, getting cut and not suiting up for the Super Bowl, uh, I think was something he mentioned, which had, which had given him a wake up call. Uh, mm -hmm. He seems bigger as well. He seems to have, yeah. to have put some of the muscle on, um, and certainly, you know, from what from what I heard, he he sort of said, you know. I, I need to change my attitude to suit what the coaches want rather than expecting perhaps the coaches to uh, to coach me the way I want to be coached. And I think that yeah. you see from what he said, it was like a penny drop moment of ah. Uh, yeah, uh, so for, for the people that haven't, that haven't seen the, the, the press conference, him explaining his, his relation with Kyle, basically Kyle you know, was expecting so much of him. Um, I think Kyle's frustration came across the wrong way to Dante Pettis when he was coaching him. And instead of Pettis taking down board and working harder to get better, he retrieved and stopped caring because he thought that he was getting picked on, basically. Which is, for a coach, is a really fine line. How, how do you coach one person doesn't work on, on another? Some people need encouragement. Some people need to be shouted out. It's really hard to know what to do. So clearly there was a breaking down in communication. And then it looks like it just escalated to, as you said, the Super Bowl where... I think Pettis had this moment where he's just like, what is going on? I'm going to have to talk to him. And that's what they did. And 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 now it looks like he's understood where Kyle's coming from, what he's expected of him, and he's now working towards the same. They're both working towards the same goal. 
on the same path rather than two different paths. So, um, yeah, I'm all for what do you think, Lee? So I'd, I'd like to see him in a game again, see what he's like in the game, because I always thought he, the problem with him, he never looked comfortable trying to catch a ball in traffic or if there was any defender anywhere near him. If he was wide open, he was very comfortable. He just looked as though he was very afraid to be hit and that completely put him off what he was supposed to do and that was catch the ball. So I would like to see if he's actually toughened up from that aspect and is willing to put his body on the line because to be honest, let's face it, any NFL wide receiver knows exactly what's going to happen when they get there. Oh, they yeah. know they're going to be hit. If they want to succeed, they've got to expect to be hit. So he needs to come to terms with that. If he doesn't want to do that, fine. I mean, I couldn't argue. I don't want to do it. The size of some of these guys is like being hit by a car. Oh, God, but yeah. This is something he's worked to all of his life. He's wanted to get here. So it'd be a shame if now he decides, well, actually, that's not what I want. So I'd like to see him in a game, see how he performs when he's got defenders around him, chasing them down or getting ready to flatten them. If he can keep hold of that ball and, and make the effort to get to the catch as well, then I'll be impressed. Because it's all very well listening to Kyle Shanahan picking people up. Kyle's going to big them all up. He's not going to come in from a, an off-season practice and say, oh yeah, they're absolutely garbage. Absolutely yeah. rubbish. He's not going to do that because he's going to knock the confidence straight away. If he needs to do that, he'll do that in private. But he'll do it in the correct way. It won't be a negative thing. He'll probably just point out, look, he can do this better or he can do that better. But he's not going to bring them down at this stage of the season because that's not how you get the best out of people. You have to be constructive. You have to tell them how they need to do things better, where they're lacking to do that. So, yeah, doing it in camp is fine. I want to see it on the field. So I'm, I'm going to reserve okay. my judgment for Pettis until we see him in the field. If he does play, like, we know he can play because... That, that very first season, he made some fantastic catches and he's mm -hmm. really quick as well. He, he yeah. will be our speed guy. So yeah, he'll, If he has a good season, he'll basically make the regret of losing Sanders go away. Um, that's, that's the role he needs to take on. Um, yeah. He needs to become Emmanuel Sanders last year, basically, and be the deep right guy, the you know, speedster on, on the outside. That's what he needs to do. Potentially. Potentially. He's he's got a golden opportunity to do it as well. If if mm -hmm. Debo's not quite ready for week one, or we want to ease him back in, and and Ayuk, uh, you know, perhaps has to ask the full playbook, he mm -hmm. can't complain about any lack of opportunity in in the early part of the season. Uh, he's got to go out there, get himself open, get some catches in these first perhaps two or three games um, to establish himself. Because if he doesn't do that, if if Debo's back to full speed, if if Ayuk. Uh, can play like we hope he can. If uh, Trent Taylor starts getting some targets, Jordan Reed, Jerick McKinnon, uh, you know, what's what's he going to catch? Um, so it's the ball's in his court really, and, and he's got that opportunity. Um, so yeah, let's let's hope he takes it. Yeah, yes. then he look, he'll catch everything bar covered. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so time's cracking on. So I'm going to ask you for some season predictions. And what I'm going to ask for is the regular season win-loss win column and where you think we'll... Uh, sorry, and how far you see the team going. Okay. Um, it's very difficult this year because of the lack of, you know, uh, practice, no preseason. Um, I think 
you know, having four preseason games taken away means you're four weeks in before you're really truly your week one self, which is not even yourself anyway. Week one's always a little bit weird. Um, so I don't think we're going to be as good as we were last year. Uh, fortunately, our division is very, very tough. So I think um, a, we won't need 13 wins to win it this year, I, I think, because, you know, the Rams are good. Um, the Seahawks are always good. Um, and, and the Cardinals have definitely brought enough people to be definitely very, very good this year, I think. So I'm going to say we're going to finish 10 and 6, um, which will win us the, I think, will win us the West. Um, and after that, I, I think if we win our division, uh, I don't see us failing before the Super Bowl. I think we'll have to go back there. This is, it's the goal anyway. Uh, we have to go back and win it. Um, and because of the whole COVID, I think teams that haven't changed much, um, that aren't so new, uh, that have run for a few years, will fare better in the long run, um, just purely because of the, the lack of preparation that we've had because of um, the season. So uh, I, think, I think we can make it all the way. Uh, it's going to be difficult. The AFC's uh, powerhouse are very, very good as well. Um, to, to win it all, obviously. But uh, yeah, 10 and 6 and, and to the Super Bowl, for sure. Gareth? Um, quite similar. I, I don't think we're quite going to go go 13 and 3. Uh, I've got us down as 11 and 5. Uh, so so a game up from uh, from Nadji. As, as with every off-season, every team is hopeful. And I look at a few of the teams we're playing, particularly Philadelphia and Dallas. Mm. I'm really not sure. You know, these could be... 12, 13 win teams. They could be eight or nine win teams. I, I don't quite know where that's going to go. I think that the Bills could potentially be uh, uh, become a dangerous team. I think they're probably going to win the AFC East. Uh, I, I hope we find out early. Um, we've got the, the Jets and the Giants games two and three. Those are the sort of games we have to win and win comfortably when we look at, uh, at what those teams uh, company have and where they are in their in their team development. Those are the sort of games where we've got to go and win well. So I think we'll, we'll have a good taste of it early. It's going to be which teams cope with COVID, maybe which teams. There'll be a bit of luck, I think, as well with, with yeah. uh, teams. I mean, always, always injuries. Uh, I'm quite keen. I think we've, we've got a good practice squad. I can see almost every team in the NFL is going to have to dip in to their practice squads. Uh, I, I assume they're going to keep the practice squads in a in a bubble away from the rest of the players, so that potentially if if you can drop uh, a COVID positive player out um, and the other players around them haven't caught it, you you'll be able to to bring your practice squad player in. Um, and I I think we we've got a lot of things going for us. A, a bye week at week eleven, which is fantastic compared to last year's. Um, I have a, had a quick look, and I think the the Seahawks, Rams, and Cardinals all have their bye weeks uh, much earlier than us. I think uh, sort of week six, seven, and and eight. Uh, I think for those three teams, and I'm going to say certainly we'll get to the championship game, which which might form one of my bold predictions. Right. So my <laughs> my season prediction is probably going to sound like a bold prediction, but it's not because we will get to the bold predictions. Um, but before I tell you where, how I think we're going to do, 
I'll qualify that with why. So I think we've had very little turnover from the last Super Bowl. I think we've done a very good job at actually strengthening an already strong roster. The vast majority of the roster already know this play playbook. We've mm. got pivotal pieces who are now fully fit. The likes of D Ford, Quan Alexander are now fully fit. Um, that's got to be a bonus. We've got Trent Taylor back, who, as I mentioned before, he was absolutely excellent that first year with Jimmy, and I think he's going to be a major piece on offense. And overall, we've kept all the coaching staff as well. I just think we set up with the best possible setup to succeed. And because of that, I, I'm confident we can realistically go 14-2. and two. And however, th th this prediction is actually a contradiction to my bold prediction later. <laughs> <laughs> my two losses, and this might come as a surprise, are both road games. At least one of them will come as a surprise. The first one is against the Saints. The second one, I think, would be the road game against the Cardinals. Th those are my two losses where I think we... The tough games, them, and because of the game, the Cardinals give us both home and away last season... Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be tough down there. I think they've they had a very good draft. I like the move they make. Isaiah Simmons, I can see being an absolutely fantastic linebacker. I think he's going to be a big player for him. And I'll be honest, I think he may even be in for the Defensive Rookie of the Year. So keep an eye on him. I'm, I might be a mile off, but I just like everything about the lad. So that's going to be an interesting game down in Arizona. So, yeah, for sure. On the bold predictions of the year, now this can be a team prediction, it can be a player prediction, it can be one of either if you want to do that. Um, if, you, if you just want to do one today and then maybe do one on the preview show, that's fine as well. Um, no, I've got two. I've got two that I've come up with. Uh, um, one on offense, one on defense. I'll, I'll start with the defense one. I think I think Nick Bosa will get DPOI um, this year, plain and simple. He's going to wreck everybody, and he's going to win defensive player of the year. Um, I don't think that's actually that bold. I think he can absolutely so do I, it. So I was actually going to say that because, I, I mean, I, I, I'm expecting that as well. Well, I think he's going to be there or thereabouts. Yeah. Uh, if it, You know, for a second-year guy, it's not that common. Um, and I almost feel like player of the year is almost, more of a popularity contest than an actual play. So it's either going to be Aaron Donald or JJ Watt, <laughs> basically. Um, but yeah, I, just, I think he has a show. As far as a bold prediction is concerned, I mean, you, you can go... Oh, well, I'll go, I'll, go, it's... I'll go further than I say that he will, he will tickle Jalen Stratton's um, sack record. Let's say almost. Okay, so that, that, that's, a, that, that's a bold prediction. So what I was going to say is, I mean, you go one end of the stick and say that Nick Bost is going to get Defensive uh, Player of the Year, which is not that bold because we all know how good he is. Or you could make a really bold prediction and say Akella Witherspoon is going to get Defensive Player of the Year, <laughs> at which point I would say you're batshit crazy and what have you been drinking? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, I'll, uh, I'll spice it up and say that you'll get close to the 22 and a half. Um, I won't say how close, but I think there will be a one point in a season where people will wonder if you'll break it or not. Yeah, I like that. I like that one. And um, you had one for offense? 
Yeah, I think I think George Kittle is going to break his own record, um, which is not easy to do, um, and he's just going to run even more yards than he did last year. I can't remember what his record is, but um, it's going to be close to what? What is it? Fifteen hundred something? One thousand. One. Well, so he's going to be at fifteen hundred. Right? Fifteen hundred yard receiving. There you go. Yeah, like that one as well. Gareth, stick your neck out. Uh, okay, uh, similar to that, I think, uh, yeah, George is going to have another 1,000-yard season, and I think he will be joined by another one of the receiving corps. Um, I'm not sure who's going to be. I think, you know, Debo maybe. Um, or they might obviously spread it around a bit. But I, I, I think we've got potential there for a couple of 1,000-yard uh, 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 players on. And could Pettis. Could be Pettis. <laughs> Um, I, I reckon Mostert's going to top a thousand yards if he can stay Ooh. fit all season. Uh, obviously, it, again, it depends on the on the workload. Uh, and I think uh, Jimmy's going to top four thousand yards, which was my prediction last year, and he, he fell short by twenty seven yards. I think it was. I thought but it was I think twelve. He, I thought it was twelve yards. He fell 12, short. Yeah, by. twelve. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Twelve yards. Yeah. He was. Uh, so I think he'll comfortably comfortably top that, and and more than thirty TDs. So I've got a, a little smattering there. I don't know quite how many of them are bold, really. Okay, so it is. It's pretty impressive. It's not not that easy, especially how how well we run the ball. Yeah. Um, Thirty TDs would be quite impressive. Yeah. So, so my ball prediction definitely fits well and truly within the batshit crazy bucket. <laughs> okay. So, like I said, this is going to contradict my earlier season prediction. And I'm going to say we're going to go undefeated and win the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, that is crazy. That's, that's Brian Davis' level of confidence. <laughs> it it yeah. might be a little step above Brian Davis. Jay Peplow's there. Uh... Uh, it could <laughs> be, yeah, confidence. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's on the Jay Peplow level. <laughs> Jay Peplow level, for sure. <laughs> that is bold. That is bold. Yeah, definitely. Thank you to both Nadji and Gareth for joining me on the show. Thanks a lot, guys. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. It's been good. Let's let's yeah. do this again Friday. Oh yes, <laughs> definitely. I've enjoyed it. Now I'm back and uh, back at the uh, swing of things as well. And thank you to everyone that downloads and listens to the podcast. We will be back later in the week to preview the first game of the season against the Cardinals. Until then, stay safe and go Niners. Go Niners. Go Niners. San Francisco 49ers deep in the heart Like Joe Montana in the corner deep Clark Garrison Hurts, Stiff Farm going 99 Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline NDB, greatest owner of all time Groovy, Walgreens, Bill Belichick Where all students of Bill Walsh don't ever forget